Welcome. Welcome to Real Estate Radio, where we discuss everything real estate related. Investors, first-time home buyers, experienced sellers tune in every week for industry-leading information and discussion on the largest source of wealth in the world. Real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Steve and Jonathan. Hey, welcome to Real Estate Radio. I'm here today with Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan. What's going on? Not much. Uh, we're lucky enough to have Josh Evans on our podcast. Hey, Josh, how you doing? Great, Steve. Thanks for having me. No problem. Josh and I have been business partners for a few years. Uh, we own two properties, three properties, three units. Going on four. Going on four. Um, and Jonathan's actually involved in the fourth one. And we've had, surprisingly, we've had no major um, issues. So we're crazy enough to do this again which I'm excited about. Just keep doubling down until it collapses, right? That's exactly, exactly. I just want to be over leveraged and uh, you know, have the bottom fall out. So, so um, I was hoping today we could talk about how we've done it, if we even really know, um, and get your perspective, who, somebody who doesn't work full-time in real estate and how the process has been on your end and, and your thoughts and uh, where we want this thing to go. Um, just general conversation. This advice is going to be pretty general. Um, I've heard a lot of people say never partner with anybody. I've met a lot of successful people who say like I will never partner with anybody and they've done well that way. My experience has been different. Um, I think the first place we bought, there was originally going to be, this was in Chester, there was going to be three of us, four I, of us. I, I, I feel like we spoke with a lot of people and, yeah. um, and you know, taking that first leap is, um, is tough for most, um, I think. I think finding someone who is just as comfortable with risk as you are is uh, is probably the hardest part in finding a partner in something that's completely untapped territory for you. So yeah, yeah. So I there, Christ, we must have talked to. We probably pitched the idea to six or seven people, and uh, we started with two, and now we're, we're almost back at six or seven for the next. Yeah, which so. which I want to touch on. Well, um, speaking of, I mean, risk, how, how long ago was this? Like, how old were you guys? You're pretty young, right? Yeah, um, I guess I was probably about 25 or 26, and Steve, you were 23 or 24. And yeah, you're, I think you're only a year older than me. Yeah. We were, yeah, we were younger, and the reason I would recommend to listeners to consider this option, I think a lot of people write it off, and if you can do a property on your own and you're comfortable doing that, by all means do it. You're sort of taking away one of the failure points, but... I think a lot of people think, oh, I need $20,000 to buy a property. Well, I don't have 20,000, mm -hmm. but I have 10. If you have a partner who's very similarly minded to you and they have 10 and you have 10, you can buy that property all of a sudden. So I just think it, it accelerates your process a little bit. It lets sure. you get into it. Um, there are downsides. I'm not gonna say it's a perfect solution for everybody. And you have to be very, you have to match personalities. So Josh and I are both pretty laissez-faire. Um, we take care of things that need to be taken care of. We're not. We're not ignoring our properties, but we both have pretty similar mindsets. If we both were the type of people who needed like accounting every week uh, updates on the properties, it probably wouldn't work because we we butt heads or, or whatever. But we've we've had a pretty good run at it, um, and yeah, we were young. We we didn't we were not able to afford this place. The first place we bought, we bought it for around eighty thousand less. Eighty eighty nine. Eighty nine. So about ninety grand. Duplex. We still own it. Yeah. Um, we would not, I mean, I don't know you, but I didn't have the money to buy that place. Um, 
so it made sense to partner up. And like you said, I, and now that you mentioned it, I remember that we tried to get like five or six people and people were like playing games, some were interested, some were not. Um, so we've learned some lessons from that, which I'd like to get into too. One thing is um, put your money where your mouth is. Like get, if you're serious about it, ask for money, ask for a deposit. Because anybody could say, oh, I want, oh I'd love to go into real estate. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll do a deal together at one point. And then you have the deal. And then closing time comes and for you to be like, hey, you know, you owe 10 grand on this deal. People might be like, I don't, I don't have it. I don't right. want to do it. I'm, you know, yeah. And I, I feel like, I feel like so many of the, the why nots, um, most of them are in your head, right? Because if you have, if you're a working professional in your mid twenties to early thirties and you've got, even if you only have 15, 20 grand sitting in a bank, um, if you take a step back and say, what's that doing for me? Um, probably not much. I mean, you're lucky if you're getting a 1% return, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, with real estate, I think, I think the biggest why not is the fear people have of like being a landlord, which um, obviously it's, it's not always easy, but in terms of like making money in your sleep, um, the property does most of the work for you. And um, we've, been, we've been blessed to, to find some really great, um, some really great partners that, that have helped us through this in terms of service providers. Um, yeah. I mean, we've got, got a great, really reliable guy that handles uh, most of our maintenance. Um, we just brought uh, the good Mr. Sanborn on to, uh, to, to manage the day-to-day -day of the property. And um, four years ago when we bought this place, um, we were planning on doing everything on our own. And um, it took a while for us to learn that, you know, the smart money is usually not on yourself, right? <laughs> but, um, but I think the, the key thing is, is just managing expectations. And I feel like that's another thing that we've learned in bringing more partners on for subsequent properties is making sure that um, the expectations were properly set. And I think it's so much easier once you've done the first one yeah. and, and once you've got real life stories um, to be able to bring more people on. I mean, this model that, that we've got right now is um, it's a pretty low risk, high reward system when you're looking for undervalued properties in undervalued neighborhoods um, with solid rental interests. Um, it's hard to go wrong. And yeah. I, I think probably one of the biggest reasons why the partnership works is because it's working <laughs> yeah, right yeah anytime i see anytime i see a partnership dissolving professionally um i always assume that there's not a lot of money going around i mean there obviously could be major issues like you could have a disagreement that's so severe that you just have to split but like if we're making money if our, our assets are performing we're gonna make it work we're, we're, yeah. what can you fight about if we're, if we're cash flow i just i just saw a documentary uh becoming warren buffett have you guys seen that no, or, no. it's great um but there was one his business partner longtime business partners he uh he said something that really stuck with me he's like listen if we have a 40-year business relationship and over the course of those 40 years there's 10 times where warren does something that makes me absolutely crazy and i totally disagree with it i think back on it 40 years down the road and i'm like really what 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 difference did it make it's a drop in the pond of of yeah. an otherwise great relationship so he said now he said i don't even fight it and i think we've been lucky enough that we're we're both laid back enough that like there's times when like i'm sure you think i'm insane and there's times when i i am frustrated with the decision you're making but like we've we've either been lazy enough or or mature enough to not have any major disagreements and yeah probably a little both 
Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. I think you're right. I think uh, having a tolerance for risk and having a tolerance for things not going smoothly is a, is a major component. I think people get into real estate and they think it's going to be free money just you know rolling in sometimes. And that's, those expectations are crazy. I mean, you, you touched on the expectations. Um, and again, the fact that we've done this now, I think we've owned that property for like three years, maybe three years now? Yeah, we've done one a year. So We've done one a year, which is a big part of the model. The model, uh, in short, is the model working with now, and add to this, you both can add, you're both part of this now. Um, we just found another property uh, near the Temple area, um, and Jonathan's in it, and Josh is in it, I'm in it, and we have three to four other partners. I think we have four other partners, so it's seven of us total, um, which sounds like a lot, and a lot of people say that sounds like a nightmare, but we bought a place a year ago um, up at Temple, a little, a little far, but four bed, five beds, four partners. So that you'd think would be a nightmare, but it's been smooth. I mean, as long as money is hitting the bank account, we've been shouldering a little more of the responsibility than our partners. But the model is such that we want to bring people on. Yeah. We want, we want money. We want people to be involved. We want to do these partnership deals. So the philosophy basically has been: if there's a hundred people that want to buy properties with us, and we're all equal partners, we don't take any kind of like. Um, owner's cut or any kind of like, you know, we're not getting paid any extra. If these deals are good enough for other people, they're good enough for us. And that's sort of been like a major facet of the model. So if we can do one a year, we can start ramping it up to more than one a year. I mean, this year is, is looking good. Um, we'll just keep inviting people on. And if it works for the partners, if partners are making money, they're going to want to invite people on and, and it will be a self-sustaining model, hopefully. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the dream. And, and just to build on that, I think one of the things that like, that we've done really well um, that I think is key to success in a model like this is always having your eyes and ears open. Yeah. Um, so like uh, we've, we've probably had about for these four properties, we've probably had about a hundred swings at the plate. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, and, and that's kind of the, the part people miss in between. And I feel like that's the value of someone hitching their wagon to partners that are going to be more um, proactive. And yeah. I think that's kind of where the reason we've been able to, convince other folks that this model works is because just kind of what you hit on like shouldering a little bit of that extra burden in the long run has paid off yeah bigly to yeah. us <laughs> yeah. no you're right and, and that's been you know like my brother partnered with us on this oxford place that that josh and i bought a year ago and he was really nervous because he said well okay what if a pipe freezes or something what am i going to do like i can't help and we and josh and i basically just agreed we're going to be doing more work than we should in this partnership. Mm -hmm. Him and I are going to be doing more. However, for this next property, to get New York money to come down here and, and help buy this, he didn't even quite, he said, done, I'll do it. Who do I check to? So that sort of law, I think if everybody goes into a partnership with that mentality of I'm willing to do 60% of the work for 40% of the pay, if you are willing to go a little bit extra, and, and even though like technically that's not fair, if you have that mentality, I don't think you can get burned. You'll never have resentment. You'll never, yeah. to me, it just makes a lot of sense. It's one of those things where it's, would you rather work a little harder and own a portion of the deal or own none of the deal? Exactly. Or none of it. Right. You know, you'd, you'd rather work a little harder and own something than not. And I, you know? I think another thing that's key too, just on that note, like is, you know, you partner with people you trust, right? Sure. I mean, we all have, all of us sitting here, we've got pretty pretty big networks due to our um, chronic alcoholism and self-esteem <laughs> issues. Um, but, uh, but you know, um, 
we've been selective with the folks that, that we've brought on. And um, I feel everybody that, that I've, I've pitched this idea to, um, I would gladly work for or with. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's a, that's and, a good And if point. you look at it as taking on another boss or another employee, rather than taking on um, uh, some, some loose change in, in the bank, um, you're, you're gonna approach it from the right way. Is if I owned a company, would I hire this guy? Because essentially, when you're bringing on investors into your business, um, you're hiring them as a boss, really. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah they can, they, you're accountable to them and they're accountable to you. Um, the nice thing, though, is if, if the model's working, if, if money's flowing, it's, it's pretty simple. I think the contingency that we haven't really run into is what happens when a deal goes bad. I mean, so far, knock on wood, we've been lucky enough to have pretty good deals. We've had some challenges with tenants and stuff that we're dealing with, but nothing major, nothing that's sort of uh, ruining anything or anything like that. Not, yeah, nothing that's a nightmare. Nothing that's challenging the, the property. And I feel like we've been especially lucky because in situations like this, the risk is usually front-loaded, right? Because if you own one property and the one property is going poorly, it hurts a lot more than if you own 100 properties and 80 of them are going poorly. Yeah. Because if you're building the model right, um, you're going to be at least floating. If, mm -hmm. if you're right. if you're 20 percent successful, you're at least floating. Yeah, right, right, right. right. You're not drowning. No, that makes sense. You're right. Uh, it, having one property, I mean, that's that's a really good point. If you have one property and it goes badly, that's so much more detrimental to being diversified and having mm -hmm. properties carry each other. Yeah, to your mental, to your the cash flow, everything. It just hurts everything. And that kind of builds on like the value of partnerships, right? Because even now, like like I'm in a much better place financially um, and, and free time wise than I was when we bought our first property. Um, um, and and uh, I, I forget where I'm going with this, but I think, um, I think just like even now, like with the ability to be able to do one deal by myself a year, I'd much rather bring on partners, dilute my equity, mm -hmm. but have more leverage to kind of keep the train going, right? Because yeah. then, then you could say to maybe a big time investor, Couple of years from now, oh, I own twenty properties instead of saying, oh, I own three properties. You know, yeah. they go, yeah, I have a few partners with those other twenty, but you still own twenty properties. You know, it looks a lot better. I agree, and that and that goes to the leverage, and you have access to more actual leverage, like like equity leverage, yeah. right? So you can borrow on each of those properties, which multiplies faster than more you have. Yep. And not only that, working with partners to me is a signal of a strong. Uh, business person or like an entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. If that, if somebody says this guy is an expletive hole about everybody, you know what I mean? If everybody says this guy's difficult to work with, well, he, they're probably right. I mean, that, that's not somebody I want to work with then. But if they say, oh, Josh is great. He works with partners. He does this. He does that. That makes me more interested in doing a deal with him because I know that he's done it in the past a bunch. If you're, if people are saying he's a nightmare, I, I, I hated working with him. He was well, I don't want to do a deal with him then. Inle so. Unless there's a huge butt. <laughs> unless there's a, he's, he's, the only way you can be a miserable prick to work with and still get people to is work with you producer. is if you're yeah. a producer. That's right. Which we're working on. Pretty yeah. soon we'll be miserable pricks to work with. Yeah, that's but, right. I but, hope to be successful enough where we can justify that. So I'm interested to hear Sanborn's take because like you're coming in on this, like the fourth property in, mm -hmm. like, like what was it that attracted you to jump on board a moving train? So kind of like we just mentioned, or I just mentioned, I you know, I just got my real estate license less than a year ago. I just bought my first house. So this, my goal for 2017 was to 
buy um, four properties, one for my own to you know rent out the rooms, save on rent, not have to pay mortgage, live for free, and then three other investment properties, which is a pretty hefty goal in one year. Um, so this made me a lot closer to my goal, obviously. I was getting in a lot, um, lot not only like cheaper, but a lot more inexpensively too, like we talked about. Like I'm not coming down, coming up with the whole 20% myself, just a small portion. So I went own a small portion of the property, but then I can say to uh, other people when I'm networking, oh yeah, I own an investment property at Temple. And that's yeah. a lot more impressive than saying, like, yeah, I, don't, I still don't have anything yet. Yeah. Um, plus, like we mentioned too, I liked all the partners. I think the three of us are more hands-on, more, open, well, well, we'll talk about the issues when the other partners are more of the silent money partners, which is kind of what we need. We don't want everyone to be, you know, going to the property, saying what needs to be done, what not to be done. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's a, it's a good, it's a good mix of, you now I would say the other, other three people, yeah, they don't want to do, if they never have to see the property, they're fine with it, you know? Um, if I can interrupt with a quick story, yeah, yeah. And I, I do want to hear more of your perspective on this, but that reminds me of Josh and I bought this place at Oxford uh, mm -hmm. a year ago. And Josh and I have done this and we know what we're doing, but one of our partners is, is very intelligent. He's, he's aggressive. He knows what he's doing. We're lucky to have him as a partner. You actually know this person. Mm -hmm. I don't want to name drop, mm -hmm. but Josh and I went to the property and we said, okay, this it's, it's Will Smith. It's <laughs> Will Smith. <laughs> yeah. So we're getting jiggy with it. And so we're in the property. And there's five bedrooms in this place, mm. but the way the living room is oriented, I mean, you've been in, you've been yeah, in right? yeah, yeah. So the way the living room is oriented is there's this front room and then there's like this weird wall yeah, that right. like you probably would want to take down, but like given the class of property, we didn't want to spend that much. Right. And there's this room that has a door. All you do is install like a little bit of a door and you have an extra room, yep. which given the type of tenants we have and like the way the property is, we can easily say that's a bedroom. Yep. And it would be legal. It has a closet, a bathroom, yeah, window, window, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So Josh and I said, like, this is a no-brainer. Let's make this a six-bedroom. Yeah. And and one of, one of our partners said, no, 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 that's crazy. Like, that's too many bedrooms, too many people. And Josh and I were like, okay, okay, we'll listen to this new blood. Like, no problem. Mm -hmm. Three months later, Josh and I are walking through the property. And sure enough, there's, a there's like, they yeah. hang, like, curtains. And there's a bed in there. And we're just like, come on. Yeah, they made it better than anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, honestly, <laughs> that goes back to the, like, penny wise and dollar smart thing. Like if we would have won that argument, we could have possibly lost a partner. So right, for an extra right. th maybe three hundred dollars a month, um, which is not nothing to sneeze at, but but honestly, like you, you got to make those compromises sometimes, even on the even when you're on the right side or wrong. Um, you know, it, we, this this gentleman, um, Mr. Will Smith, um, is he's in on our our next property as yeah, well. So. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we so it's not worth yeah if we're if we're using experience to muscle and strong arm people to get our ideas across that's probably not the right approach. We do want to use our experience and our expertise to guide the whole ship, but like you're right at the same time it's not worth getting in getting in at all. And, and you know what like I think kind of we we overvalue our worth sometimes, but oh, when yeah. you really think about like even the silent partners like we've got some really smart folks who are working with us. Who've made observations and suggestions that, like, I probably wouldn't think to make. Sure. I mean, yeah, we've got your, sure. your brother's very analytical. Yeah. Um, Frank is a lawyer by trade, so like, there's some different perspectives that Steve and I probably wouldn't take that, in the long run, have, have helped us. I mean, that's true. Yeah, that's another that's another benefit of having partners. Everybody brings something different to the table, mm -hmm. and another benefit that you may have touched on briefly is 
diversification. So I, I read somewhere that uh, diversity is the only free lunch in, in Wall Street. And it's like, and, you know, anytime you get, you know, a lower risk investment, typically the reward is, is lower, you know, that sort of thing. There's always trade-offs. The only free trade, non-trade-off thing is diversity. If you own 100 properties versus owning one, your risk of loss is so much mitigated. Right. So anyway, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. Was there anything else that those, sort of Those are pretty much the two, the two main things. I mean, the fact that I could say, yes, I own a temple property um, and I could do it very inexpensively and, and partner with people that I trusted and I know that it would succeed. Plus, mm -hmm. you, you guys already had a successful model in place. You know, this is the fourth one you're doing. Yeah. So, seeing the success, you know, I'd, I'd love to be a part of it. So, I think um, I think another thing that we kind of undervalue in terms of like our partnerships are the non-equity partners, like guys like Gabe and guys like Alex who have yeah. been able to provide like, and and um, Kyle Kelly who I think has done a podcast yeah. with you yeah. guys, like people that that provide services for us and we know are reliable. That aren't equity partners, but but we'll use them a hundred times. Yeah, you can call them like part of your team, or you know, exactly. That's a, that's a really good, yeah. The, the model has sort of baked into it moving parts that we're not even really talking about that much until you brought it up. It's a great point. We have inspectors. But we had Corin on here. Mm -hmm. We know him very well. He's he's done all of our inspections. Mm -hmm. We know the kind of stuff that he looks for. We know, and he's trained us to think about properties. So we can walk through a property and say, this is going to be a major problem. And like five or six years ago, before we were really in this, we may not have done that. So having those pieces in place is a great point. Um, Steve, yeah. do you mind, uh, I, I know the horse and the cart are kind of mixed up here, but like, do you mind like explaining to your audience what the model is? No, no, no. Yeah, let's go, more, let's go more in depth. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, I should almost splice this to go in front. Well, in front now that you said that, you gotta have, you're going to have to edit this piece out yeah. and then... We'll look really smart. <laughs> I don't know if I have. We mentioned the model a little bit, but yeah, go ahead, explain it. So if, if I'm on an elevator and I'm, I'm pitching this, I would say the model is to find underpriced uh, properties in areas that are inexpensive but still in the path of progress. Areas that, in the next ten years, it would be feasible for them to have a, a very good up, upswing in value. Mm -hmm. However, the the value of the property is not based on its eventual sell value it's based on a long-term rent roll so i've always said and we've all always said if a property makes sense financially on day one when you buy it without any kind of increase in value even if it stayed the same exact value for 30 years does it make enough rent to cover the mortgage payment and are tenants easily attainable if both of those facts are there it's a winning property to me so i don't want to get too hung up in in repair value arv and that kind of thing it's important for appraisals and stuff like that but Basically, we find undervalued properties. Cash flow. Cash flow, yeah. Cash flow. Yeah, cash yeah. flow is king. So if they cash flow, and they, and right now our model is kind of uh, inexpensive centric because we want to be able to do one a year. And so if we, if we were to kind of like dumb that down a little bit, I mean like if you think about places that are hubs for renters, right? Mm -hmm. So um, uh, places like that are close to centers of work or mm -hmm. school. I mean, yeah. if, you're, if you're by a college, you've got You've got renters um, on from the very low end of, of the financial spectrum, all the way up to to the highest of high um, and professors and stuff. Exactly, yeah. and, and same thing with hospitals. With hospitals, yeah. hospitals, schools, any kind of business center, um, and it, the beauty of hospitals and schools is you got a lot of uh, people that aren't looking to 
to purchase because they're not planning on being in, in that area for, for forever, which yeah. kind of drives up rents and, and gives you a sustainable base of churn. Mm -hmm. So even if, even if you, you run into a rough patch with, with one group of tenants, there's always next year, there's a whole nother freshman class coming through that doesn't want to be. That's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's another major component of the model. And then again, if, if a property is consistently able to be rented, then it's, it's a winner. And we also focus on, for now, uh, places that are inexpensive generally as well. So under 200,000, I think is our typical um, target. That I'm hoping, one, another advantage of bringing in partners is we can sort of break from that. So to me, low, inexpensive properties is not central to the model. And, and that's probably almost unique to the Philadelphia area where like, you know, you can get the same return in terms of true dollars over cost from um, from a property that cost you eighty thousand as you would from a property that cost you three hundred and eighty thousand. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're a huge spectrum, which I love about Philly. I mean you're not in the Bay Area where you can't buy anything that cash flows. You know, you, right. here you have you've options. If you want to be a little bit more hands on as a property manager and you know you can go to that lower end if you want to um, shell out some more money but have maybe an easier time managing, yeah you can go on the higher end. And and I've looked into renting my personal property it's in fishtown hot neighborhood in philly and the math didn't make much sense because best case scenario i'd be taking in maybe seven or eight hundred bucks over over my 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 hard costs yeah we're, we have a place by by temple where if all things are going well we're, we're making that much on an investment uh of one-fifth of what the value of my right. right. Yeah, I, I think a big part of our model, one of the reasons this works so well, is we're good at identifying properties that are near these, like you said, schools, these places that are, and the areas are not gangbusters, places where people are trying to pay huge numbers for properties. These are moderately to low priced properties that we find on blocks that we're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And the returns, the, the return on investment is so high based on these low, I mean, we won't even look at it, and just to give some uh, listeners hard numbers, we won't even look at a place that's under 20% um, cash on cash, yeah. which is to say, if you buy it and you're, you buy it for 100,000, you need to be getting at least 20,000 in uh, rent rolls per year. Yeah. We won't even, like if, if those are the numbers, if it's a $100,000 property and we can get 20 grand in a year, that is, you know, that's yeah. and, and I'm just saying about revenue, not not profit. No, but totally. Twenty percent is for for these, especially now. If you're in Center City, if you're at a really high market, you're talking about the Bay Area. Twenty percent is probably unheard of. You probably can't find that anywhere yeah, 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 because yeah. you're competing with with users. Like you're describing your Fishtown house, you didn't buy that as an investment. I mean, it, it, it turned out to be quite nice for you. It, it turned out to be an investment in the long run, but you didn't buy it saying, "Can I get rent for this right now?" It you backed into it where it, it happens to cash flow if you needed to, but yeah. like you said, there's better plays everywhere for you because you're the problem with Fishtown is you're competing with buyers, right? There's a lot of buyers yeah. there that are paying big numbers for houses. The areas we tend to focus in, there aren't as many buyers. It's, it's a lot of renters. And I feel like a lot of the places that we're investing in are actually atrophic rather than like expanding. Um, so if you look at like like. Uh, up by Temple, where we've been investing, like there's a lot of consolidation of, of ownership rather than a lot of individual developers selling places to single homeowners. Like right. you know, we're kind of um, we're kind of fighting for not scraps, but uh, but flakes of gold, really. <laughs> because if you think about it, like if if 
if Temple University or, or Widener, if they're if they're investing uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars into into neighborhoods, um, and there's a few properties that just might not make sense for them, um, if if we can get in there at the right time, uh, there's there's not a lot of competition for um, by investors because most investors that are looking in the city are are probably not looking in the areas that, that right. we're buying, yep. and and there's not a lot of competition for homeowners because typically we're we're looking at areas where where the people that would want to live there can't really afford to buy, yeah. uh, which makes it kind of the perfect storm of 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 just that the one last puff on the cigar, right? <laughs> um, but I think we kind of got a little bit off, like we, we're we're really good at tangents, right? Yeah, yeah. So That's so, a so um, just to kind of recap what you've said so far, so. The core base of our model is looking at low-cost, high-return properties in areas with sustainable churn of available renters, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I think the next piece of that, if you want to talk a little bit about like what we do with that revenue and, and how this model is so sustainable. Yeah, um, before that, I mean, that's the next step. I want to just add one more caveat. Um, right now, we look. For, you said um, inexpensive properties. I would also say we look for turnkey or near turnkey properties. So we love properties that are already occupied by paying tenants. That's a really good thing. The property we're working on now has exactly that. It has a tenant that's been there for what three years? Yeah, three years. I think wants to stay. Which yeah, is and, great. and it's it's almost worth paying a little bit more um, just to get that that like it's almost like buying a franchise. You know yep. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and you're right. It's normally priced in. So if a property's occupied, you're going to pay a little more. Typically, I mean, all this stuff is typical, but there's no hard rules in real estate, really. But you're going to pay a little more. But we've, we've found, we've done the calculation, it's worth it. So versus having to scramble for three months looking for a tenant, right. well, that could be like $8,000 in revenue. Mm -hmm. So would we be willing to pay $8,000 more for a good tenant? Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's All that effort is just, you know. So that's part of it. And then we really don't like to, the, the places we've done so far, it normally requires a capital investment to get the property ready of 5000 or less. Um, we'll, we t have taken care of things, we've had some issues where we've had to fix things up, but typically the properties are ready to go. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty important um, aspect of the I, modeling. I think with the exception of our first one, right, where, where we didn't entirely know what to look for and how to deal with things, right? So, yeah, so we, we, Josh and I have been on a 40-foot ladder terrified for our lives and we've been fixing things but each, no each of us thing. taking turns calling the other one a complete coward until we were the ones swaying back and forth <laughs> that's another thing too guys if you're gonna rent a ladder um don't get the cheapest one possible <laughs> because it's it's scary. actually made out of a recalled metal because it started to bend under no yeah um but yeah so so that's the model of, of the properties we look for the next part of the model is so so i would say Raising capital, right? That's a, that's a part of our model that's sort of implicit. Um, getting partners, partnerships, fleshing yeah. out the agreements. Yep. That's that's crucial. Uh, on that, we just talk. We just have conversations. We invite everybody on. I never want to seem like a like too salesy. Mm -hmm. I don't want to. I don't want people to think, oh, I don't want to hang out with these guys. They don't shut up about their real estate model, right? That was always my, and that's my that's a career goal of mine too. I, I don't want people to think, oh man. Here comes the broker, like to try to get us to buy a house. Yeah, I, will, I like what I do professionally, and I, I believe in it, and I'll, I'll preach the gospel all day. But at the same time, you got to you got to be able to turn it off. But there are people who are naturally interested, like you. When we first met, you were yeah. naturally interested in real estate, so we right. talk about it a lot. Yeah, so the conversation just floats. So I feel right. like those are the kind of type of people you say, "Hey, I have this model. Right? You know, would you want to find out more about it?" 
Yeah, and a, and a big part of that too is transparency. So our books, we, you know, we share bank accounts uh, for these properties. We, all the books are public. All yeah, the issues. Open are, communication. You yeah. know, if there's an issue at the property, like this one we just um, went through at Temple. We had the inspection. You know, we didn't hide the inspection report from every from every partner. We everyone saw it. You know. Yeah, yeah, every, and, it, and it's it all wasn't black perfect, and white. But we say, you know, this is it. If you're not, if you're not comfortable with it, you know, leave now. It's right. better to it's better to dissolve a partnership before it forms than it is down the road. Yeah. Um, but Josh, back to what you were saying. Yeah, the the model is such that all of the proceeds we make are put in an escrow account. Uh, I mean, it's really just a checking account. And then we vote as a group what to do with that. And, you know, another value of having multiple partners is my brother, for example, is very conservative. So Josh and I had op been operating under the model of we want three months uh, costs saved up to not be touched, mm -hmm. right? So our Chester place, the mortgage is something like 700 a month. So we had, we had another, we had like three grand in the account we just kept. And that was comfortable. For a rainy day fund for repairs, Correct. that kind of stuff? Yeah, so, so the goal is so we never have to put our own money into this property right. after the initial outlay. But then uh, my brother got on board and he said, I'm only doing this if we have six months of costs saved up. So we agreed to that. So we did. And, and you know, Josh and I weren't thrilled about it, but we did. We, we ended up having $9,000 in that account. And the only difference functionally has been like Sugar House is probably a couple grand, like less rich. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We haven't gambled it away. But um, now with that money, we've all agreed that we're going to liquidate that, that money to help pay for this Edgley property. Mm -hmm. So the beauty of that model is obviously all of these properties are going to have different partners and different arrangements and things. But it doesn't really matter. If we're all on the same board and we all like what's happening, we're going to keep flipping these into another investment. And that's going to represent a bigger and bigger buying power. And I think one of the things like a lot of people think about when they're investing in a property, because there's been folks that I've talked to that I, I really wanted to get on board because I wanted to give them an opportunity to make money and also bring on more partners for us. Yeah. And a lot of people have a hard time not seeing the forest from the trees in terms of rather than saying like, how long is it going to take me to, to recoup back in pocket my initial investment? Um, a lot of people, um, it's hard for them to get over the fact that, hey, listen, I'm going to put this money down and I might not see it for 20 years, yeah, right? Yeah, especially if with this model, you know, traditionally you are um, putting the money down, maybe you build up some reserves for your rainy day fund, but then you're taking in the cash flow every month with this model. All the all the extra all the extra cash flows going into the escrow account, you're not going to see it. Exactly, yeah. it's just going to go into the next property mostly. And and you know it's, so. it the returns are exponential if you look at yeah. it that way because like if you don't think about that money once you've spent it um, and consider that initial investment loss, mm -hmm. but then you take all all of the money that that we're pulling out of each property and invest it in the next property, like if all goes well and we're at twenty properties in twenty years. Then that initial investment of fifteen grand or so, I mean, that just turned into a million dollar portfolio. You yeah, know right. what I mean? Right. And that's yeah. like you look at your four hundred one k and you think about, hey, I'm pulling six percent of my paycheck out of every every two weeks. Um, it's hard for people to take that same outlook in real property because you know it's it's a tangible thing that's there that you can visualize the headaches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah no, I, you're exactly right. And an analogy I think is, is apt is like the stock market. When you look at returns over the last 20 years, it's only like four or 5%, it's not that good. 
But then if you adjust it to say that you reinvest dividends, if you reinvest the money that you get out of it, it goes, it shoots up to seven or eight percent, which is a tremendous difference. I mean, that the, the amount of time it takes you to get to a million dollars is cut in half or so. Like it's really these these compounding interest things only work if you reinvest. Well, it's it's like the old uh, the old the old fable of of the farmer uh, who went to the king and the king said, "I'll I'll give you anything you ask for, um, uh, as 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 long as um, as long as I can agree to it. I, I mean, as long as I can do it, I'll I'll give it to you." So the guy, he takes out the chessboard and he says, okay, all I want, King, is place one grain of, uh, place one, one seed on, on the first uh, corner uh, E1 for the chess nerds out there and double on each subsequential square. And by the time he got to the middle of the board, the king realized he gave his entire kingdom away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because the growth, you know, it, yeah. when, when things compound, um, you go from one to two to four to six to eight and yeah. pretty soon you're at, you're at 10 to the power of 10,000 and, and we're all sitting on a beach somewhere. And that's yeah, the goal. Exactly. So I love that. That's a great point. It's a great story. It's like people ask me. It would have been hey, better if I remembered. People say to me like, okay, you find a property that has 40% return. Why would you share that? Why would you bring other people on? And to me, that's very short sighted. Like, Yes, you could make more cash on cash if you selfishly did every deal just yourself, but you're buying at a rate that's so, so slow. slowed compared yeah. to the partnership thing. And the real money in real estate is not from owning a single, you know, most of us know somebody who owns one rental property and they make a few bucks and they're doing well. It's, I'm not knocking it. It's a, it's a good idea. Everybody should do it. Mm. But the real moguls out there have a hundred properties. Yeah. And you get to 100 a lot quicker with 10 partners than you do by yourself to the point where you may never get to 100 properties yourself. And it's, it's funny because you, you can see in a city like Philadelphia, you can see the growth play out. Um, like I can remember when, um, when uh, JG or OCF, you'd see one or two signs for these guys isolated yeah. to one or two neighborhoods. And, and now they're all over. And the way they did that was because they saw the big picture. They started small. And they took their bumps early on, and and once you get through, I mean, one property is a headache, um, ten properties is a career. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. The scales thing too. Like right now, uh, we're paying you to manage properties, which is good, mm -hmm. and it's working. But at a certain point, it's going to be too much between your real estate career and everything else. Right. You're going to say like, I can't do, I can't manage ten properties right. unless it's your full time gig, which I don't think is, is something you want to do full time. At a certain point, it's going to make financial sense, and it's going to save all of us money mm -hmm. to have a, a manager like salaried, and that's all they do. Yep. And, and you know, we can pay them bonuses based on tenancy and stuff like that. Yep. And when you have a, when you have to, like, we have a really good handyman who we trust, and he's actually like very reasonable, gives us great deals. But if he's away for two weeks, we're kind of stuck. We got to hire somebody else. We're, at a certain point, if you have 100 properties, you can have a full-time handy guy who's, who was a union electrician for 10 years and like you can pay him well, and there he's on staff. Shout he's out to Johnny Doc, right? Shout out if to Johnny. If you're listening to this. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's scales that you can really use when you have more properties. Yo, another thing I think would, that would be cool, I know I know, <coughs> probably long on time for you guys, yeah, but... Um, but you know, it's just to talk about the other schemes that we've tried before we realize that, like, if you stick with what you know, um, you're going to be better off, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we've Steve has had how, how many how many business ideas do you think we've had between the two of us uh, 
since college to now yeah, that probably, had probably in the hundreds now. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny that like the most obvious thing is the thing that ends up paying off. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like you try to fight the tide and like reinvent the wheel, and then you see all these people that are just using real estate, and it's like, all right, I'll just do that. But it's good. I mean, it's a good. It's solid. It's not. It's also easy to pitch. Like that's how they easy to discuss and easy to pitch. So we're we're developing an app and we're doing different things, which are great. But it's it's hard to get people to see your vision. If it's real estate, the vision is baked. Everybody knows real estate. Everybody knows real estate's a, a great path to wealth. Well, what did we say when we bought the first one? Worst case scenario is we go broke, our wives leave us, and we have somewhere to live. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's a duplex. It's a duplex, so we each have our own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and again, it's all about the long term. Like short term, I, I really don't like getting hung up on what can we sell this for tomorrow. It's not a bad emergency plan, but if you're a long-term investor, which you know you talk to the the big, the Warren Buffetts, the people that are, that are like billionaires doing this, they don't think what are the returns in six months. They're always looking at the long term. But on the other side, like the thing about real estate that I love more than anything, I mean, I'm sure everybody that's listening to a, a radio station called uh, Real Estate Radio is probably pretty obvious too. But like, when you own a piece of property, like every dollar you pay. You're pretty much paying yourself less the interest, right? And and if you're buying in an area that's appreciating higher than than the rate of interest, which we've been pretty lucky so far that we've probably done that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you're 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 really reinvesting back in yourself. And the thing we haven't even touched on yet, and hopefully we never have to, is you know, once once you get to a certain equity level in the property, like that's that's a bank a secured loan for yourself, right out of right out of your own equity, you know what I mean? So so you're taking on you're taking on some debt, but I mean really it's more just the commitment to owning real estate more than taking on debt is like making a commitment to yourself to save x amount of month. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Especially in investment property. So, I think a major financial hardship that helped cause 2008 was people thought of their property as a piggy bank and they borrowed from it and they did this and but as a business function, it makes a ton of sense. If you're borrowing from your property to buy another 40% investment, mm -hmm. well, you just doubled your investment capabilities. Mm -hmm. If you're borrowing from your personal residence to buy a new car, you're, yeah, in. You're, you're buying a liability, yeah. whereas you're buying another investment property, you're buying another asset. Yeah, and that's, to me, like that is the thesis of the model in the sense that the equity and the like end of the rainbow, the pot of gold when you sell the property, that is pure gravy. So if you buy a property, let's say for 100,000, that makes you 30,000 a year, well, you just got a 30% investment. Anybody would do anything for that amount. You're like, that's a really good investment. That's to say nothing of the appreciation like you're talking about. That's purely, if you end up selling that in 20 years for $300,000, not only did you find a 30% thing, you also made $200,000 for your trouble. So it's like yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a cherry. It's a cherry. And, and yeah. it's like you know the way the way we approach it. Um, it's it's a lot safer than like you know with all these television shows out there about like the quick money and the flips and, yeah. and you know people they they see it like almost like a lottery ticket. Um, I, I was just down in, in Florida for work and I, I met a guy at a bar who was talking real estate with me um, because I've got no like life or anything to talk about other than. <laughs> schemes to make money but um he was telling me he was he was the bartender and he said that uh, two years ago he was 
he was making forty thousand dollars every month flipping houses, and and he got he got stuck holding the bag on a couple properties that uh, that were hard money, and now he's now he's back behind the bar to to right. try and cover his losses. And you know, uh, I think I think having a plan with contingencies for worst case scenario built in is important to long term sustainability. And if you're buying one property, um, dumping a ton of someone else's money into it. And, and hoping that it goes for uh, for, for the, the highest possible number is um, is nine times out of ten it'll work. But if it fails once, you're done. And in our model, if it works one time out of ten, you're all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> I think I think baked in the model, as long as we're getting, as long as we're acquiring properties for fair market or less, it's bulletproof because worst case scenario, we have trouble getting tenants, mm -hmm. things go badly, it sucks, partners are fighting, sell the property, yep. everybody gets their money back, minus closing costs. So like, you may lose, and again, just to give a sense of numbers, this latest property we're buying, I think is gonna be 6,000 each, is that what we said? A little less. A little less, yeah. yeah. So let's say this thing is a disaster, the tenant moves out, the roof caves in, like all this stuff. If we sell it even at a loss, we're each going to get back three thousand. You know, like right. so. We're basically making an extremely careful and like selective bet that it will work, and so far it has. And uh, I hope to continue it. I hope listeners reach out to us and say, "I want in." I mean, I, I we're doing we're trying to do one a year. We might do two, three. Well, yeah, should it, with exponential growth like we talked about, it'll be a lot more than one a year. Yeah, and if we could bring people on, right? And and at first, you know, we were talking about like. I remember when some of the partners had concerns about bringing more partners on. Um, you know, it's at first we were kind of hesitant, and now like the more I look at it, you know, look at these big successful corporations that have millions of shareholders. Yep. Right. Yeah. Like, like it's you know, it's it, we're we're just we're just smaller scale. starting smaller, and yeah. and if all things work, I mean, like like if if we have a hundred guys, even if they're each putting six thousand dollars a year in, I mean. We could we could be leveraged enough to buy hotels. You know? Yeah, no, that's completely realistic. Yeah, we have set. I mean, seven people uh, sounds like a lot, but you look at a hundred, and all of a sudden you have a, a really like big conglomerate of, of purchasing power. And those are and returns on like big scale things. I mean, then you can start talking to like legislators. Like you can really start moving the needle. But I think mm -hmm. this is a very good, comfortable uh, step. And and Josh, I. I Again, I, I think we've had a great experience, and uh, I don't think either one of us could do what we're doing on our own. I, I, I and I think just to kind of like recap everything, like um, the, the the starting point has to be um, uh, clear expectations, um, agreement on big picture stuff. Yeah. Because like we said, like like if you look at things from a big picture, one or two disagreements, like if if the goal if the goal is like when we sat down, I think our goal when, at first was we said. We want to have ten properties in ten years, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and we have lived up to that commitment to each other. Yeah. Um, even when like, you know, we're times are not always so flush. Yeah, <laughs> there's sure. been there's been times when when we've had to liquidate stuff we wish we wouldn't have to liquidate and reprioritize um, our our uh, uh, things that we'd rather be doing than than dumping money into a building. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it's it, the the plan is paid out and setting those clear expectations, being on the same page with a long-term goal and um, focusing more on the where, where we're going to end up rather yeah, than how yeah, we're getting there. Uh, uh, 
Yeah, so I think that was good. I know you have to run, Josh. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, if anybody has any questions, I will put uh, maybe an email address or something, Josh, if somebody wants to ask you anything specific. Yeah, that's okay. fine. Cool. Um, and you're going to return the favor, right? And uh, and we can record that, uh, your lecture, to um, the great sales team at NCR. Yeah, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. I'd love to. Yeah. Um, so thanks for joining, guys. And uh, join us next week. We'll have another guest on when uh, we'll talk about real estate. See you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit our website at drgphilly.com. Leave a review on iTunes and subscribe. Note that this podcast should not be taken as financial or legal advice. Always consult your local professional before making any financial decisions.